Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethic. Today we are continuing our coverage of Cobra Kai. They keep putting out seasons, so we'll keep putting out episodes where we talk about the karate, the idea of how fighting can solve problems or perhaps cause problems in suburban high schools in Southern California, and what is the history of the different kinds of karate that are being talked about, and just how far will this show jump over the shark. All that more after commercial break that we have no control over, but might be from Larusa Auto. I think you just called me a superhero. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I am Paul. I'm your guest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, We're both very fond of declarative statements, particularly when involving our names. And we are here. And uh, yeah, Paul, let me ask you this. What was your thought when I messaged you and said, hey, the new season of Cobra Kai is out? It was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to that. <laughs> it was like, uh-huh. okay, that's, that's three hours or five hours, somewhere in there of like, you know, a mixed bag of laughing, <laughs> of, you know, laughing, eye rolling, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, some action of, of various qualities. Uh-huh. Um, I will say, though, that this season was... I think my favorite since the first season. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. A, a lot of things I didn't like about this season, yeah. but I think it, it may also be because I'm just sort of accepting things. Um, we're going to go into all that, but first, Paul, give us a quick summary of what happens this season. All right. So at the end of the last season, Cobra Kai won the uh, All-Valley Championship, right? Although I think they right. won one division and didn't win the other division. No. So or did Robbie it was yeah. – um, there were a certain number of points that you had depending oh, right. on everything happened. Yeah. So by by uh, it, because Cobra Kai was fair, uh, Eagle Fang Miyagi whatever it yeah, was yeah. was pretty far behind. They would have to win both the men's and women's championships. Right. As it turned out, um, Cobra Kai won the women's. Miyagi Fang, uh, whatever it's called, Eagle Doe yeah. won the men's, and it was not enough, and so. Uh, Terry Silver and um, John Kreese. Uh, and Kreese won and therefore won the bet that they'd made, which said that they would then get to take over Karate in the Valley and Danny and Johnny would close up shop. Right. So um, Cobra Kai won because the writers said so. And mm-hmm. Johnny seemed to move on with his life at the beginning of this season yeah. right and and i mean spoilers like at the end of the season too i think he's he's kind of achieved some level of stability at least when he's not drunk and angry and danny not so much danny not was so like much. you know what instead of moving on i'm going to you know get my buddy chosen to to come over from okinawa and um we're going to like stalk cobra kai and then assault people at furniture stores and just really cause a lot of trouble. Completely break the promise that we made about letting them have karate in the valley. Yeah, completely break that promise, Um, which is interesting because I'd say the one thing that was most eye-rolly for me was, you know, Chosen's whole kind of like honor, like 
thing, right? Which is mm-hmm. like I, I has been called out a number of times as like this very you know stereotypical like all Asians in Western cinema is always about honor, right? Yep. Which you know if you're doing a show like The Last Airbender and like that's Zuko's thing, I kind of think that's fine as long as that's not everybody's thing, right? Right. Um, and here I think. We can talk about that too later. Um, but the reason that I pointed out now is because, like, he's coming here to help Danny break his promise, <laughs> which seems not very honorable, <laughs> you know? It, it is definitely a topic I want to get into. Let's finish the summary quick and then yes. we'll uh, jump into that among other so things. So, meanwhile, Silver has decided to – he wants to take over not only the valley but, like, kind of the world with Cobra mm-hmm. Kai. And it turns out he wants to do this through this um, through the, through this like big international tournament and he brings in a bunch of additional senseis including his teacher's – um, I think was a granddaughter. Granddaughter, granddaughter, yeah. right? Um, who really should be called a sabunim uh, or kwangjanim, not a sensei, because you know she's Korean and they do Tang Sudo. And the show had an interesting mix of sort of Korean and Japanese influences in ways that I both appreciated and unappreciated. <laughs> and we'll get into <laughs> we some of that talk about as that as well. well. Um, and they are very Bond villain all of a sudden this season. <laughs> I've seen really the actress who, who plays, um, you know, the granddaughter, um, who I will refer to now as Master Kim for the rest of, of this. Yeah. Um, and she's like, she refers to her character as a supervillain, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think we might have some differing opinions on, on that character and, and some aspects of the sort of supervillainy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, you've got Crease in prison trying to get out and like, he's getting Tori to spy on Silver for him. And like, meanwhile, you know, it's just like a lot of stuff happens, but also not a whole lot of stuff really happens. <laughs> it's really true. You know? Miguel goes to, Miguel goes to Mexico right? to try to find his father. It, it seems like it's going to be all sorts of bad kinds of plot, and instead it's just Miguel figures out his father's kind of a dick, and just Johnny and 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 uh, Johnny and finds him, yeah. and Robbie finds him, and then they go back. Yeah. It's like, I'm glad you didn't go to any of the terrible plot places I thought you might go to, yeah. but... I don't really know why we did this, except we got a great fight montage to the Desperado song. Absolutely. That was fantastic. (laughs) Um, And also that clearly was setting up his dad as a a villain for season six. That's very Because of this big tournament. No, it's like 100%. Like, don't don't fight me on this. Like, (laughs) they show him. He has, like, some underground fighting ring, right? Yeah. Clearly he's... Yeah. Uh, I, I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah. you are completely, utterly right. right. Of course you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I w- anyway, you- no, my thought was like, why did they introduce him to just have it be this like three episode then, you know, and done? And I was like, that's a little weird. I'm like, oh, he has the, oh, okay. yeah. So okay. I'm like a total idiot okay. for missing it, but yes, that's yeah. probably very true. All right, so, finish the summary. We've got yeah. eight million So that's basically, about. oh, yeah. Then at the end, they decide to all fight each other um, and... They uh, successfully sort of um, out Terry Silver as a cheater, right? And then mm-hmm. all the students turn on him and kind of no one's left running Cobra Kai, but I'm pretty sure Master Kim is going to take over, um, right. is my guess, right? And so or now Chris Terry Silver's... 
arrested. Crease faked his own death so he could escape prison. Yeah, and and so Crease is is escaping prison, and Silver's going into prison, and <laughs> you know. So we also got a flashback that showed Crease and the young, you know, um, granddaughter Kim at the at the time, you know, as a, as mm-hmm. a young girl. Um, kind of sort of sharing a moment where she was like sneaking around watching them train and then she knocked right. something over and then Kreese kind of pretended it was him even though he got in trouble for it. Um, and so I imagine there's going to be some connection between them in season six. I think that's probably true. I think it's probably true. I was really hoping this was the last season, but it has now been confirmed that we're probably going to get a season six. No, so. no, 100%. I mean, unless like, I mean, it was the number one show in, on their platform for like at least the first week. So... Yeah, I think they're definitely making another one. So, and, and all that kind of brings me into what is going to be my first kind of comment about it. And this is something we see in a lot of shows, but it's definitely one that I see about Cobra Kai. And it's why I made the shark comment and why it, it, it I found a lot to enjoy. And mm-hmm. I was the one who was like, I want you to, but like my Paul, you need to see this started with like Desperado fight scene, yeah. uh, which it, 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 there's a fight scene set to a song that has a fantastic guitar playing slash fight scene in a bar right. that my, my mother described as like, it's a straight up video game scene. Um, but like, at first it was like, I need you to see this. And then it became later, like. I think this smell, I think this has gone off. Can you smell this for me and tell me if it's gone off? <laughs> and now you're like, maybe it's better than I thought. So we'll, we'll see what you can convince me of. But the biggest thing was to me, and we've talked about this in so many different things, there's this feeling in TV and in movies with next seasons and with sequels that the stakes always have to be higher. Right. And it was part of why the last couple seasons felt off to me and this one especially so the core idea of it always was a small little story about bullying in one or two high schools and how a karate match could maybe like take care of that and they keep making things bigger and bigger till here yeah it's like I, I think Silver basically wants to be the McDonald's of karate like with as well as like Basically, he wants to stop wokeism in Gen Z by, like, teaching them all karate. Um, Like, there's a lot of, like, these kids are too soft today and they need to learn karate and, like, fix this. Yeah, I think wokeism is a weird choice of word, but there's definitely something. I think that's the word they would use from that perspective. But, yes, agreed. It's it's, it's, Crease has that maybe more than silver. But the, the point is, so his goals are huge. And then, yeah, like you said, all these adults are getting even more into it. And then the fight, like especially between Chosen and Silver, is portrayed as though it's going to be a fight to the death. Mm-hmm. Like, they're using deadly weapons. Yeah. Um, and they Chosen's- fake, they fake Kreese's death in the beginning of that episode, I think deliberately to set up the idea that characters can actually die in this series. Yes, 100%. And I, like, I fully believe that Chosen was probably dying. The fact that then no one, like, rushed to go take care of him was both really dumb, but it was also like, okay, so clearly he's not going to die. <laughs> he's like, it's um, just a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, like, bleeding out face down in a pool of water. Yeah, it's just like, some, some, just some back muscles. He'll just have a hard time doing so, pull-up for a while. And, like, we had, like, you know... These kids were fighting like it's West Side Story over who gets to use what rides at the water park. And like it just the whole thing felt so over the shark to me that I I think I could probably go back and watch it and just like again, like let go of like any need to connect this to reality and just accept that we live in the karate verse and it's a different world and I can be okay with it. Yeah, because it is a lot of fun still, but it was just so ridiculous. So 
So for, first of all, they call it the Miyagi verse, and they That's actually, fair. I think, have spinoffs planned. <laughs> they do. They do. That's what I've heard. But I just like to ask, like. What show were you watching the first four seasons that this feels like there's a shark that's been jumped? <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like the shark got jumped around the time that Miguel got put in a coma. Like, yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, I think the show was just always ridiculous. It was always I, this kind of over the top, like maybe season one, not so much, but like they always mm-hmm. had these like knockdown, drag out brawls in places where you're like, where are the police? Like, where's the security guard in the mall? Just, like, like no one where are the adults? About, like, suburbia and like for, all these karate clubs would have been sued out of existence by the time this had all happened. You know, like I, I th- like I said, I think it was Miguel going into a coma. Like that's when it really, to me, just left the shark entirely. The first couple seasons, at least, the stakes were small enough. It's that as the stakes have gotten bigger and bigger, and I'll say, and yes, this started in season two, and it's just gotten worse and worse. What I loved about this so much was that it was Johnny's story. And that it was looking at the idea that, like, the guy who was a a bully and a villain in high school has turned out to be kind of a decent, wants to be kind of a decent guy. Mm -hmm. And the guy who was the underdog in high school has turned into the bully. Right. And this was just like, but the last couple episodes, it was just very, it was, this was very much like Danny's like, you know, vision quest. Kind mm. of. This was so, very much like Danny's like, you know, adventure for enlightenment and understanding and reminding himself that violence is always the answer. Um, so it, I'm going to disagree. I think this support. season... This, and, and I'm not disagreeing that Johnny got kind of benched here, right? Yeah. Um, although I will say he got benched in a way that I kind of enjoy insofar mm-hmm. as he grew and seemed to, except for in the very last thing where they're like, oh, we're drunk. Let's go fight the supervillains while we're <laughs> drunk, which like, you know, they just, just don't do that. Um, I think – so he he largely grew – and mm-hmm. he caused Miguel and Robbie to grow in a way as well, right? Yeah. And, and I really enjoyed all of that. And, you know, they also allowed Tori to grow in a way that she had been kind of sputtering in mm-hmm. – um, uh, a lot of shows do this, right? Where they have somewhere they want a character to end up and they, like, do, like, three or four pump fakes and then finally they go there. Honestly, right. that's one of my um, – complaints in in shira there's there's a little bit of that you know that yeah i I, true. I feel like you know like zuko's arc in airbender like they don't do that as to the same extent you know um i i somewhat disagree with you about shira if we're talking about the character i think we're talking yeah, about we let's are. hold that discussion for a different yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i i definitely get the 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 idea you mean and certainly they do that a lot with romances a lot where it's right like the, oh, they stretch the out the yeah. will they won't they get together yeah. forever yeah the point uh, is that that's a, a common trope right so i yeah. enjoyed that they finally got to the point where they're like okay these characters have kind of moved past that to some extent, right? right? They, they're finally getting the growth that they've been kind of teasing and working on it. You know, growth isn't necessarily always this sudden thing. And so there is something yeah. that can feel real about that. It's just very often, particularly in this show, the times when it doesn't happen feel because that's what the writers wanted in order to get some fight scene or something. I think I see where you're going. And I guess let me restate it. Because, yeah, I did love what Johnny was in it because – I had felt that the kind of pump fake was they never let Johnny really get over the hump. Yeah. That he always wound up making the same mm-hmm. mistakes. And so the fact that this time, like, he discovers that his girlfriend is pregnant, he starts to have a little bit of a panic moment, a couple people yell at him about it. Yeah. 
And then he figures his shit out. Yeah, yeah, he gets. He figures his stuff out, and he just is able to kind of move forward with it. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it feels earned, right? Yeah, it it very much feels earned. I want it for him. The fact that, like, again, there's a lot of these like drama points not taken. You know, Miguel could have been really upset about it. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. Miguel and Robbie, like, they pump faked them getting friendly again. But I I think it felt earned when they finally kind of breached breach that wall for them and we'll yeah. talk about how they did it to me it, it's if it had been like you know what we can kind of put johnny on the bench because he he's not going to have a big dramatic moment he's kind of there we're going to focus more on the kids i think i would have been really there for that mm-hmm. i just i'm danny is the character i find least interesting on this show and i feel like his growth is kind of the same it, it, it just felt more and more kind of like you know johnny macchio is the is the big star we have from the past that's the character everyone remember uh ralph macchio ralph macchio um, yeah. macchio yeah um i'm listening to my star wars podcast i'm just terrible with names <laughs> across the board yeah. um but like i don't know i just i'm just bored with danny and i just i See to me that that was the two big things of like the, the feeling like the stakes kept getting increased yeah. and and to the point that yes it is not suddenly newly ridiculous right, it's right, just right. more ridiculous yeah, yeah. but also that element of like I just I'm done with Danny oh so I agree with you on that so the way I was going to disagree with you was that I didn't feel like this season was Danny's story I agree that they did certain things and particularly setting up the last fight to be him against Silver and you know right. he's showing kind of like what he learned from before and applying it now I think Silver was the main character of this season you know I think like, I think that's fair. I think a lot of the, the weight was on, you know, what is Cobra Kai doing? What is – it didn't feel like that sort of thing where they show the protagonists 70% of the time and the antagonists mm-hmm. 30% of the time. I, I mean, I would imagine screen time was probably at least similar, you know, but right. like the actual amount of screen time in Cobra Kai – Compared to like in any of the Miyagi Do Fang whatever stuff sure. was it was a lot of the series of this season was within Cobra Kai and I, I found that interesting. I think that's true, and I did find it interesting. I think we got a lot of that last season with Crease too, but yes. I think like to me, I think I guess it said to me like. If you gave me a kingpin type version of Silver, where you really dive into his motivations and you allow me to feel some understanding for the character. I felt like what we got was an awful lot of him twirling mustaches on screen. And I think like, that's fair. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's, yeah, but, but I do think you're right. And I think it's, well, so let's jump into the, I appreciate the way you set it up that, that Johnny has grown quite a lot. Danny has not. Yeah. Because um, the, one of the things that has always been my sort of biggest question with the show is, you know, at some point, a TV show that's about settling problems with violence has to get to a point of, okay, maybe it isn't best to settle it with violence. You know, maybe there is another way you can do things. And when Amanda moves out of the house, you know, because Danny mm-hmm. is pursuing this thing with Cobra Kai and he just won't let it go. And as you, you said, they kind of wind up beating up the owner of a furniture store because this is somebody who, like, used to be down with... Yeah, it it was a misunderstanding at the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, okay, sure. But he also, he went in, like, super aggro about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And, like, Amanda's just like, no, we're done. I'm taking the kids. You've got to sort yourself out. And I was really ready for this to be, like, Danny coming to understand he's got to let this go, you know? And that, like, if there's other ways to fight Silver, you can do that, but that, like... He's acting like a child, and it's time to stop that. And so, in, 
I was really ready for that story and I was really excited to see where that story would go. So then when Amanda gets in a bar fight because she goes back home and then she comes back and is like, nope, violence all the way. Teach our kids to beat everybody up and you've got to beat up the bad guy too, Danny. I was just like, come on. I mean, so you said something that I'm going to like hard disagree with, which is that a show that's basically about using violence to solve problems has to ultimately land on the idea that you don't solve problems with violence. I I don't think that it ultimately has to, but I think when it is at heart, high school rivalries and like to me, the way the show has set up, it has become harder and harder for me to believe that violence is actually the way to solve these things. Mm. And to me, it got to that point where it just, I, I yelled at the screen when Amanda did that. I was like, no, you were right. Danny is unhealthy and unhinged and obsessed. He's wrong. I I don't totally agree. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I I hear where you're coming from. A hundred percent. I love the idea of solving problems without violence. Mm -hmm. I I do think sometimes when someone else is being violent, you're, you're not going to defeat them without violence, you know? Right. Um, And I, I do think that like, I mean, Silver and Cobra Kai, you know, most of the mm-hmm. time are a corrosive influence on, mm-hmm. you know, the mostly the kids, I guess, and like teenagers of this area and then potentially further, you know. Right. And like I'm not advocating using violence to stop that. But like I think I mean, yes, like it would probably be best to find some way of having some sort of an investigation to you know, discredit them. And ultimately, mm-hmm. they don't really solve it with violence. They solve it with hacking. <laughs> you know, at the end sort of the of. day, it's like a like a techno heist kind of deal at the end, you know, where then they mm-hmm. have to protect the tablet that's uploading things, which like, yeah, that of course, that's ridiculous. But like, <laughs> of course, it's ridiculous, you know. Um, Look, they have very fast upload speeds. It's it's the valley. Everyone's well, got lots of money. <laughs> it's not about the upload speed, right? Because you, you could like ha- upload like a lower quality. It's about the processing, right? Like once yeah. you upload the video, then the site does some processing. Granted, if it's a short video, maybe that will happen very quickly. But like, yes, that was the thing that I was like, wait, 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 this video went live way too fast. That's not how YouTube works. Even though it wasn't yeah. YouTube, it was like, what did they, they had some goofy name for it, mm-hmm. like they always do or often do. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think the LaRussos are like the worst characters in the show, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like Sam quite a lot. I can't but, uh, stand Sam most of the that's time. Fair. I think she's that's ridiculous fair. most of the time. <laughs> I think Danny's ridiculous most of the time. I think Amanda's ridiculous most of the time. And the the younger brother kid, who I don't even remember his name, Anthony. Uh, Anthony. He started off being really. I mean, it was like funny in season one when he was just like kind of like he was like kind of a nothing character, right? Yeah. Um. I I think he actually has had some sort of interesting growth yeah. finally you know um i mean the you know going from bully to not bully to then like actually trying to stick up for himself um sam i think is a character who has as much potential as any of the other characters you know yeah and i feel like had some growth in the season but like she just does things i'm like oh they just they just want the right like when she attacks tori when tori's like hey i came here to confess something to you and, like, she just doesn't even – I was just like, come on. You know, that was, like, to me, that was as bad as Danny being Danny in the beginning. 
I, I bought that because I bought that she has PTSD of some kind, mm. which is also why I'm like, Danny and Amanda, get her, your daughter some therapy. Stop telling her to beat her problems up when her trauma is around violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think that I probably like Sam a lot more. Uh, Sam is my boss. I like Samantha, Sam, a lot more than you do because I quite like the teen romance uh, aspects of the show, which I know you are not a fan of. Yeah, yeah. Hard pass on all that for the most part. <laughs> um, I, I Honestly, I do actually enjoy um, her and Miguel's like chemistry, like the whole love triangle mm-hmm. thing. I was so happy they didn't actually pivot back into that. Fully agree. Like, and, and the idea of like her needing to take – I thought they did it very well this season of her being I like, I need to take some time to myself. This isn't about you, but I need to not be in a relationship right now. Him being like, cool, that makes me sad. I want to see if I can change it, but I, I'm going to respect you. Yeah. And now there's a pretty girl I'm going to make out with. Right. And like – again, there's all these like the, the, the roads not taken because they yeah, could yeah. have gone in such bad directions. It, like I was like, oh, is Tori going to tell Sam what to do now about like when your boyfriend – cheats on you right right and instead sam was like no we we were on pause you had your fun yeah. you clearly though are still into me and i'm i'm back and so yeah let's make this happen like right. yeah, that, i think this was the best season for the teen romance yeah i, I agree i agree it, it and i think that's like a really healthy modeling of like mm-hmm. a reasonable way to behave in a situation like that you know right and you don't get a lot of that right like in That's fiction, <laughs> you really get a whole lot of like, just like, oh, well, you know, you get the, you know, usually the guy, but whatever party was kind of um, right. let go of <laughs> um, often just like, well, if they're just persistent enough, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. that's just. That's that's not healthy. And there's just so many shows and movies that like teach the lesson. Oh, if you're just persistent enough, you'll finally end up with who it is you want to end up yeah. with. And it just really didn't do that. And I, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think this actually shows what it should do, which is the exact opposite, which is that Sam, uh, <laughs> which is that Sam comes to have so much more respect for his feelings for her by the fact that he was willing to, to mm-hmm. take a step back, you know, because yeah, that's about sure. like him wanting what is best for her more than just him wanting her with him. Right. You know? Exactly. I, I will also say, speaking of the kids, I, just to make clear that I, because I do think this story paralleled two different ideas of how violence can solve problems in very interesting ways. And while I fundamentally disagree with what Amanda and, and Danny and all them do, like when Johnny suge- when Johnny had tried so many things to get Robbie and Miguel to f- to to work it out, and he finally was just like, just just fight, just yeah. like punch yeah. each other out. Like maybe given their history, stop them before they go up on the yeah, railing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, ah, yeah. oh, jeez. <laughs> but but honestly, I was like. No, actually, I believe that would work. I believe that in this situation where these two have really learned uh, to express their feelings with violence, which maybe we could learn some new lessons as well in Mm -hmm. that regard. But still, that's the language they both speak. So so just as you know, it's not that I think the show should be like, yay, yay, pacifism. I I was totally okay with them doing it with those two characters. And I thought that was actually a really nice juxtaposition with some of the other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think there is, you know, it's like, you want to hit each other? Hit each other. Go ahead. Get it out of your system. You know, don't go up on the second floor and maybe knock (laughs) someone over a railing again. I understand that's kind of what sort of triggered the reconciliation in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, and I thought it was a really, 
you know, beautiful moment when Robbie's like, you know, I'm sorry that I was responsible for the worst moment of your life. You know, yeah. it was also the worst moment of my life, you know, and yeah. that that was a really powerful moment. And, and I think that speaks to the like, you know, vi- <laughs> like violence usually is not the answer. Right. And right. Um, and just being like, I did like I didn't even know where I was then. Basically, you know, yeah. I was uh, just angry and just only saw, you know, just like we were fighting and that was it you know and mm-hmm. um yeah i thought that was really effective and again in terms of roots not taken like oh it would have been so easy to just knock someone over the balcony and then have a whole stupid like we're oh back in season three again you know and it's like we did that okay thank you for not really going all the way there um i i do just need to say like i do think there's some very good writing in this show I think it says something when some of our best praise for the show is, okay, this was dumb, but they could have gone in this much worse direction, and it's within the writer's range to have gone in that direction, but they did this time. Yeah, for like, sure, for sure, right? It's like it's a it's a kind of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I guess for me, it just kind of comes down to this: that like, I think, and granted, I'm I I am. I used to be a hardcore pacifist. Um, I, I'm not that anymore. I definitely think I, I think two things, which is I think that like I recognize that there are times where violence is the only language that's going to be understood, and two, I recognize that if someone who's in a situation much worse than anything I've experienced, and that person feels like violence is their only answer, it's very hard for me to judge that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like when I look at like, you know the people call the riots at BLM and stuff like that, which most of the time is were not actually riots or were started by, you know, cops or stuff like that. But still, like, you know, I'm no longer like if only they would just be not passive non-resistance to the cops, everything would be fine. Like, clearly that's not true. Right. But I do feel like to me, one of the dangers of teaching people violence, especially young people, is the way in which you can correlate to this is a way to solve problems outside of a venue in which both people have agreed that violence is a legitimate form of expression or whatever. You know, like because even with Miguel and Robbie, they both agree they want to have a fight. And like right. this isn't just my own thoughts. Like there's lots of data that breaks up, you know, that like, you know, kids are getting the military very young or like, you know, like people who go straight into like police at 18 or 19, like very high rates of domestic abuse or, or bar fights or like other things like that of like, and I'm not, I don't paint martial arts in that realm because my understanding in large part from talking with you is that a large part of a lot of good martial arts programs, at least is a lot of discussion about like, yeah, you know, we are teaching you a way to fight probably mostly in matches and also in self-defense if you're attacked. But like, we're not teaching 14-year-old you to go out and, like, you know, beat up kids for their lunch money and stuff like that. We're going to try and help you learn, like, the right time to use violence and the right time not to use violence. And so for Danny especially, like, if he is just like, I'm walking away from karate, I'm never going to teach karate again, but I'm going to go one-on-one fight Terry Silva, Silver, um, I would have been okay with that. It's that he is, like... As the person who is teaching all these young people about karate and about when to use it and when not, that he basically turns them into Dumbledore's army to go take on these rival, uh, you know, karate groups. That's just the part that I I just can't get behind. Well, 
I mean, I think he's in his mind, which I think is a little bit off in certain ways. <laughs> um, I think he's thinking that he's teaching them to defend themselves because right. he thinks they're going to be attacked. And right. the, you know, the difference between martial arts and just like learning to fight, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a distinction, right? You can, you right. can learn to fight in a way that is not practicing a martial art, right? And mm-hmm. the distinction, the idea is that, you know, there's, you are training in a way that's supposed to kind of help you sort of holistically develop, you know, your body and your mind and, right. um, you know, and emotionally as well. Right. And that, you're only intended to use what you learn in defense of yourself or defense of others, right? That's, right. that's the, that's the idea. You know, there's, there's other systems of fighting that that's not so much the ethos, right? Right. And I would say that's the principal divide here. Like that's, I mean, that's what the series is about really, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, this season more than anything, but you know, the idea is that this, teacher who um silver and crease had was kind of a not mainstream martial artist right right and there's there's some history there that we can get into um but like the idea is that they're teaching this like strike first right strike right strike hard you know show no mercy um that's different from the idea of defend yourself right like right. the first thing like miyagi teaches danny to block right more than anything right. else he teaches him to block and um that is i think the idea of like what danny's su- supposed to be doing but i i agree with you that the show has kind of an awkward way of like well how do you then like it's like he's not playing defense in this. Right. He he says he is, right? In his mind, he is because he's like, oh, well, Silver's trying to do this aggressive thing. So I'm trying to protect people. And it's like – but it's like proactive defense, which is right. kind of strike first-ish, you know? <laughs> and But like it doesn't go well for him early on, you know? Yeah. And it's like it goes bad. And, and then he does kind of like learn the lesson of like, okay, this isn't worth it. This isn't the way I should go about things. Um, you know, and then uh, Amanda's thing is it's kind of like she also learns the lesson that like you you can't always just, you know, turn away or whatever. Like sometimes someone will yeah. just try to hit you. I, I mean, I thought Sam like doing a skipping sidekick across the bar and just like laying that one assailant <laughs> out was fantastic. Um, I, I scene. did think that the whole thing of then, then Amanda coming back and being like, all right, we got to get this guy, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, that's, this is a little, yeah, okay. All right. This, this, that's just the way the show is written though, from season one to season five, you know? And I, I so like, I agree that there is this kind of awkward fit between the idea right. of like learning martial arts for self-improvement and for um, learning to defend yourself and defend others. And then like, how does that actually fit into, you know, right. living in the world, right? And dealing with this large problem that it's like, well, if you're trying to deal with it, you're actually being proactive and it's like are you being defensive or are you being aggressive i don't know it's it's a it's 
it's a show that lacks the subtlety to like really yeah. explore that in a deeper way, which is, you know, on the one hand, disappointing. On the other hand, like, what, what do we expect, yeah. really? And, and I think maybe that 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 I think allows me to really coalesce what it is I'm trying to get at, which is that. I agree that if someone is coming at you trying to kick you, then kicking them back is probably the better strategy than trying to talk to them. Um, it's that. And, and every season, the show wants me to believe that the, when I say the stakes, that the stakes of only physical violence will solve this problem mm-hmm. have gotten bigger and bigger. Right. And it's always harder and harder for me to believe that. Right. And to me, I fundamentally believe that in any kind of universe where suburbs exist... Someone like Silver, who's creating this like franchise kind of martial arts that's turning these kids into bullies, like parents are going to start noticing. Parents are going to start like having petitions of like the the kids who go to this doja, uh, who go to this, you know, karate school are beating the rest of our kids up and are also like being super rude to us as parents and like, like whatever it is. I just so fundamentally did not believe that the regular systems wouldn't like that there wouldn't have been other ways to stop silver i mm. think and so that that's to me my breaking point and 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 i think you're right i think that's the the show asks us to believe that because yeah. you're right it's just that's the ridiculous of the universe it, to me it was where i hit my breaking point that's fair i i think the reason i mean you know i the fact that like that hasn't really been much of a factor throughout the other four seasons you know makes me less apt to to have that be like an mm-hmm. issue um i also kind of think it would be less of an issue with silver than it would be with someone like crease you know just because like classism and money yeah. and influence you know i mean he's clearly someone who has sway in the in the community right right and with people in power and so i could i could very easily see like him getting you know being like oh we'll offer free lessons to all law enforcement you know yeah. in our adult program and it's like yeah good luck now getting you know the cops to do anything about him and like right or the you know the pta oh we'll offer teachers and and you know we'll have family discounts and like you know there's a reasonable chance that like some of the kids who are in cobra kai are doing better in school because like they're learning discipline and so you know then mm-hmm. they're like do you know like there's there's things That's true, that, yeah so yeah, i certainly i yeah I, I, I would say i really liked how the show showed that's a terrible use of phrasing but you know what i mean that like yeah he his idea of like find your enemy's weakness and attack it yeah isn't just physical right yeah he attacked he attacked danny's relationship with amanda in that whole thing where he like praised amanda in the situation of like the the, this this corporate board type a a charity board stuff so yeah like he is a much smarter villain than crease i did find myself missing crease Mm -hmm. but Anyway, the, the, the whole crease in prison thing, I think the less spoken of, the better. That was just, uh, but let's get into the history. Cause I, I want to talk about um, uh, the, the Silver Gang, uh, as we can perhaps oh, refer to sure. him, yeah. uh, the, the Minions, who have a number of interesting personalities, particularly Master Kim. Uh, but they, <laughs> they represent this idea of a different school of karate that, as I understand from you, is based in reality. So tell us some of the history of that and how you think that influences the show. Yeah, so, I mean... <sighs> Throughout, you know, the, the our other episodes, I've been kind of speculating on, like, where Cobra Kai comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the actual origin of their karate. And they... T- 
talk about it in um, season four a little bit, right? They show some of the backstory. And I mm-hmm. think I think that's where we learned that um, they did have, I think, this um, like Korean karate influence, right? And the right. phrase Korean karate might seem weird because it's like, well, karate's Japanese, right? Or Okinawan. Right. Um, and karate, karate means um, empty hand, right? Right. But it also means China hand or Tang hand for the Tang dynasty. And Tang mm-hmm. Sudo means like like China hand or China fist, basically, right? And mm. they in what they did in, in Japanese is um, you know, karate do was it's like three characters, right? It's three kanji, which are um Chinese characters that then are Japanese characters and and Korean, right? Like right. um pictograms basically. Um and there's but like Kara is like a, a homophone for both the Tang dynasty, which represents China, and um empty. And at some point in time they changed it from basically meaning like China hand to empty hand. Whether that was like to be like, oh, this is going to be a sort of more enlightened is the empty hand, you know, um, mm-hmm. or whether it's like, you know, Japan and China were fighting each other. And so they were like, let's not name, you know, our martial art right. China hand. Right. Um, so and the fact that one of the biggest battlefields they fought each other over was Korea. Right. Each of them conquering it at various points in time. This all kind of makes sense as to how things would be passed back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so all of these martial arts have historically influenced one another. Um, right. And so, I mean, I did Taekwondo for uh, decades and my which, teacher. Which is Korean. Worth which stating, is a, just for anyone who doesn't know. Yes. Which is, which is, I mean, which I think is actually the most po- widely practiced martial art worldwide, or at least at some point it was. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my first teacher, S. Henry Cho, called it Korean karate. Basically, because karate came to the United States first, and so people knew the word karate. So he just called it right. Korean karate. And I think Jun Ri and some others called it that, right? And I'm not sure whether he was specifically um, Tang Soo Do or what, but basically there were like a bunch of – there were like nine Kwans and like some of them – were called Tang Sudo and like some of them aren't. Um, and then like they became Taekwondo, right? But then some still call it Tang Sudo and some don't. And it's like, it's, it's, yeah, you're making an expression, which is like, it, it's kind of sums up like it's all very complicated, right? But the idea is that there are many sort of subsects within any given martial art, right? And and sub arts, and then each teacher kind of has their own style. And the idea here is that this one teacher um, was this, you know, Korean master of. I mean, they call it Tang Soo Do, right? But like right. that is still is connected to karate, and it's actually written the same way. That's what's written on their uniforms. Um, mm. But it means both. It's the same characters to to write both, right? Which is different from Taekwondo, which would be spelled differently. And generally, I've only seen written in the the Korean um, Hangul. Anyway, um, the point being that, like, there are styles that are aimed at being more aggressive, more... more like strike first kind of more hit them in the vulnerable spots, you know, and then there are styles that are more, um, you know, soft and more about like trapping and blocking and um, using the the opponent's momentum. Right. And I mean, then you right. eventually venture into like entirely different martial arts like Aikido and, and Judo and um, and then, you know, you're grappling. But right. Um, but yeah. So so this like 
it loosely draws on the history. I, I believe the okay. character that they made up is um, not a historical figure. This, the same way mm-hmm. I think this Miyagi is not, but there is an actual Miyagi, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they, they kind of touch on the history in a way that is is interesting to me, you know? And yeah. then they use... You know, they've got Chosen, who's like speaking a little bit of Japanese here and there, right? And, it, you know, he always says like, hi, instead of like, yes, which is like, it wouldn't yes be like one of the first words you'd learn in English, you know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, I, I, like... I know yeah, I know a lot of bilingual people who, who know Spanish and yeah. English, and none of them say see as a right, exactly. questions. Exactly. So that's a little bit like, okay, sure. But on the other hand, in karate, I, I to, that is like, for, yeah. Chosen isn't a completely random character for this. Anyone who has seen uh, Karate Kid 2, yeah. where Danny goes to Okinawa and winds up fighting someone uh, to a great Peter Cetera song, Glory of Love, mm-hmm. uh, that is chosen. Yeah. And they, they, they keep finding these actors who've probably not been doing much for the last 30 years and giving them work again. Uh, being like, hey, do you want to play that character you played back in the 80s? Uh, and so he's playing that character and his his sort of guilt about how he treated Danny is is an interesting part of his character. Now continue. Sorry. For sure, yeah. And actually, I thought overall he was one of the more interesting characters this season, you know? Agreed. And Agreed. there are bits that are a little bit kind of like stereotypical and uncomfortable. And if, if that makes it unwatchable to some people, I can totally understand that. On the other hand, like, he also has nuance, you know? And yeah. – and, other goals in life and um and it's just like kind of funny you know not like laugh yeah. at him funny but like he you know he it, he's got good comic timing yeah. yeah exactly um he's in the movie paper tigers actually he plays like a waiter or something oh nice okay. um but yeah um in in karate though like saying like like yes in jet like in american karate schools people will say like hi you know, um, right. and, and so so I kind of get it like that maybe isn't as bad as like, you know, the the Spanish speaking character being like, see, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. like just OK, that's not no, that OK. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I will say that like some of the some of the Mexico stuff was like a little, you know, it's like, oh, they go to Mexico and they they get robbed right away. It, at least it's an Australian guy who jumps them literally as they get off the bus. That but had it's just to be like- so deliberate. <laughs> You know, I was like, they had to be like, okay, we want them to get robbed as soon as they go to Mexico. And then someone's like, "Mm, maybe, maybe this. And they're like, what if it's an Australian dude? All right, we'll let it pass. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's definitely with, and maybe this is kind of what you're trying to get into with both Chosen and with Master Kim. I I think there's a very interesting dynamic that could have happened between the two. And I think there is some interesting parts to it. I think definitely, if I, knowing that history, I think made it even more interesting. I think they definitely play him up somewhat as like, you know, wise old man on the mountain who can say funny things to Danny while also giving him wisdom. And they play her up a little bit as sexy dragon lady, like super villainous type. And like, I think they they try to give them nuance beyond those things, but I think they were definitely very aware on some level of both of those kind of ideas. Like to me, someone in a writing room at some point, I am, I would bet my house said the words like, okay, what if we get like a dragon lady kind of character, you know, like it's it, it just that kind of a stereotype for, because she just seems so, like the way that a lot of her evil was kind of done in this very like seductive way. And like, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't like 
I, I liked parts of her character, but a lot of both her and Chosen felt very, like, cliche, stereotypical. That's not great. Like, I feel you on that, but also I kind of don't. Like, like mm-hmm. in terms of there's elements there that I, I – yes. I, I would 100% snap take that bet, by the way, that, like, nobody okay. used the words dragon lady in, like, why don't we get a dragon lady? Um, <laughs> and further, like, I'm trying to figure out the way to say this that's the least offensive, but, like – or that that is more aimed at thought provoking, but like I think that some of seeing her character that way might mm-hmm. be some element of sort of projection of That's other similar characters onto that character. Like, yeah, she's like, I mean, she's good looking. She's like mm-hmm. dressed really like not like I don't think sexy as much as like like elegant like. I don't know. Like, she's fierce. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think I think there's there's not a ton to the character in terms of what is like textually in this season, right? Yeah. Like, granted, it's it's not a there's not like a ton of depth that you really get to access. But at right. the same time, I feel like I'm seeing a person that is somewhat recognizable from mm-hmm. the martial arts world, and like. I, I mean, first of all, like, she's the first, like, female sensei they've had at all, you know, yes. in the show. And um, just reading some of, like, what the actress had to say about the character and, like, like the character's accent, which, like, jumped out to me, you know. Mm. And um, the actress is Australian. Um, right. But, like, deliberately, like, said she gave the character, like, a hybrid accent to kind of make her feel sort of more like international kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. like not like someone who's just been in Korea and like just teaches in Korea, like who's, who's been, you know, traveling the world doing um, whatever kind of martial arts villainy she does, you know? Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like you could have a character who was almost the same and male and like, like wouldn't read the same way and mm-hmm. like i just i don't feel like the sort of like overt sexiness being like mm-hmm. played to um i i think here's maybe a good way to say it. first of all i'll say it's why i want to have this discussion because i i appreciate trying to be very gentle in what you said but i, I think your comment that it is entirely possible that i have a bit of a you know kind of projection they are a bit of the racist stereotype in my own head that i'm projecting I think is totally fair, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I appreciate the pushback, and it's, I'll probably watch this again at some point, and I'll kind of challenge myself on that. I think, though, it's kind of like going back to the Mexico thing, where, like, you know, the, to me, I think part of the kind of awareness that we're kind of asking for from writers these days somewhat is, if you're writing a character that may well be projected on because it is falling very much into a stereotype that's been used in a lot of really bad ways... Yeah, it's fair to say you're going to challenge your audience to see this person differently, but I also think it's incumbent upon the writer to to kind of push that too. You know, cause like it is possible that you can get off on a bus, you can get off on a bus in any new area and get jumped. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a thing that definitely happens in bus stations around the world. But the idea that like the nice American kids are going to go to Mexico and immediately get robbed plays into this very bad stereotype. 
And so, yeah, they did something to show, like, look, we're not doing, we're not saying every time you go to Mexico, you're going to get jumped. Look, it's an Australian. It's not a Mexican person who's doing that. And I kind of just, I wished we'd had more of that. You know, I wish, especially because, like, I definitely felt like there was a flirtation between her and Silver that just felt, like, totally unneeded. Yeah, I didn't Um, feel that at all. Okay, I, I thought, like... The situation where they were going, where like the the drunken crew, which I have some definite thoughts on as well, came yeah. in and attacked them, yeah. felt very much like a date kind of a thing. Where I was like, I don't want these two to hook up. Please, okay, well, I don't want the drunk guys to attack them, but like either one is better. Uh, it, that's better still. I I just think like because yeah, I think you're right that I probably am projecting it to some extent, but I also think it is a projection that enough people are going to make mm-hmm. that I wish the writers had had given her more, had yeah. done more to show more nuance, so that it was it was clear that they were like that they were aware of that stereotype, but mm-hmm. like yeah, I didn't know, but look, but there's more going on here. I, I think in part because I just I had such problems believing her motivation, like. You know, I guess she, like, buys into this whole franchise idea that he has. And I appreciate that she was very, like, you're not going to give me orders. But it still made very little sense to me what she was doing and why. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So to speak to – all right. There's several things I want to address there. One, the overall premise of, like, Terry Silver thinks he's the one who can, like, make this tournament all of a sudden, like, popular. Mm -hmm. Like, there's promoters all over the world – Martial arts have been a huge deal for like 50 years. This is ridiculous. Like, granted, 100%. Second, I do think, I mean, I 100%, I wish that they'd given her a lot more. I'm yeah. optimistic that that will happen to some extent in the next season because I think she's clearly in line to take over Cobra Kai. And mm-hmm. so I think she will be a principal character in that regard. Um, she was also the only one of these, like, other senseis who really had much going on, right? Right. Um, and I, I didn't feel any kind of, like, chemistry or, like, tension between her and – the tension I felt was, like, objective. It was, like, what yeah. – you know, can you help me achieve my objectives? Like, I'm yeah. trying to do this thing. Um, and it was really fun to see her be the one who would finally call him out a bit. And right. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I will actually just read a, a quote um, that from from the actress where she, she like, didn't know what she was auditioning for. Um, and then when she found out, she was excited. And she said, you know, playing a baddie can be delicious. And I'm vigilant about not being reduced to a stereotype as I've experienced um, the early roles of my career and was fortunate that the creators were ambitious about crafting something real and layered. And so, mm. like, that's how the actress perceives this role, right? Which right. which to me is important. Um, I will say, I don't believe that the writing team necessarily has the chops to go all that deep, you know? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they do and they just, that's just not how they like to do things. You know, I right. think the show, you know, watching this and then watching Andor, it's like watching two just wholly different classes of, oh yeah, you know, this this is entertainment that has some depth to it. That's yes. the whole basis of superhero ethics covering it has always been like we're trying to like give a like detailed foodie like high level culinary discussion of like 99 cent ramen noodles. Like I get that, you know. <laughs> like 
Um, it's funny because 99 cent ramen noodles sound both expensive because you used to be able to get them so much cheaper. And then now I'm like, where would I get my noodles for? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, but my favorite ramen are Korean. So anyway. Um, yeah. Oh, just a note on the sort of like Korean versus Japanese, like martial art thing. Mm-hmm. Two of the patterns of, um, of, ta- of traditional Taekwondo, which is what I, I practiced, mm-hmm. are, are Moon Moo, who there's a quote about something like, I want to be buried here with my body facing that way so that I can always protect our shores from the foreign invaders, um, which I, the exact quote would be better, but that's the gist of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jungun, which is named after the, quote, patriot on Jungun, who assassinated um, Hirobumi Ito, the the um, Japanese... Um, what was he? The um, wait, the the former prime minister was assassinated like earlier this year. No, no, no. This was in 1909. This was the um, oh, okay, yeah. Which which I, I was thinking of when like you know when when um, more recently the you know the the more recent Japanese prime minister was was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Which and that was the first assassination I believe since um, Hirobumi Ito in 1909. Um, but like they named a pattern after the assassin, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we don't teach the John Wilkes Booth school of shooting. Right. So that's like a definite thing. Exactly. And I mean, but like, you know, if the South was its own country, like maybe they would. You yeah, know what I mean? Possible. And but it's like, you know, there was this history of, of imperialism. Right. And Very much and so. so you can have. You know, each side can look at the other as as some sort of a, a villain, right? And I mean, I would say that, you know, militaristically, you know, the Japanese imperially imperially arm imperial right. army was, you know, the villain in that instance. But at the same time, you know, like generally, assassinations are usually not, you know, I don't know. Sometimes sometimes they are. I mean, I mean. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I won't go too deep into that. But there's like, a lot that I'm not going to say because I don't want to get NSA flagged. But yeah, go. Oh, or we, I thought right. Uh, <laughs> I was going to mention we my great, great, flag, great, yeah. great uncle. I, I think actually, at a different point, we should do in in episode on the ethics of assassination. Sure. Because yeah. it's one that I am honestly like, there's a part of me that's like, of course, you can't do that. You can't have functioning governments if you do that. But it's also like, if a group of five fifty year old men decide to go to war. Why do we kill 20,000 18-year-olds instead of those five men? Right. You know, like yeah, 100%. Th- th- there's, there's discussion to be yeah. had there. Yeah. But that's another episode. Right. Exactly. The point being that there's, you know, some tension between um, Japan and Korea historically, right? And yeah. especially within within martial arts. And, um, you know, the founder of Taekwondo, uh, General Choi, was a he, – he lived in Japan for some period during, you know, the mm-hmm. occupation and learned Shotokan, you know, karate. Um, it was right. like a second-degree black belt in that and then came back to Korea and then created ta- – well, created Taekwondo with various other, you know, other leaders of the, you know, the Nine Kwans. And mm-hmm. – um, There was a point. Oh, yeah. Like, it was really interesting to me, you know, as a martial artist, as a as a practitioner of Korean martial arts, seeing the like they were then using some of the Korean terminology that you would use in a a dojang. Right. Which Mm -hmm. is like Korean for dojo, basically. Right. Right. Um, And but then they would use it kind of inconsistently and weird. And I was like, that's that's not. 
Yeah, that's that's. I mean, like I appreciated the idea that karate and and martial arts in general have definitely become truly international by this point. They're not just like Asian, you know, or the kind of stereotypes people have. But I did have some pause about the idea that the chief person from this, you know, uh, super like old, like incredible international karate tournament was German. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. Yeah, but like totally realistic, honestly. Yeah, no, I believe you that. Know? Yeah, I believe um, that. I, 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 I enjoyed that aspect, you know, in, yeah. in some ways. He was ways. a fun character. Yeah, and, um, you know, I mean, I think overall, like, this season did better in terms of having some broader representation in some ways while not entirely avoiding <laughs> stepping in some potholes along the way, you know? Yeah, and I so I, I would, you know, you don't need me to tell you how to feel about anything, but like, you know, more than usual, maybe even like, I get it. If like yeah. something <laughs> more rubs you the wrong way or if, if it doesn't at all, you know, I think, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, you feel how you feel about it. And like, I feel like this is progress, Mm-hmm. You know, but like, I'd like to see more, <laughs> more progress. Yeah, I, I think, I think, like, as the media entertainment world isn't generally progressing, I think Cobra Kai is toward the end of that train, but is kind of doing its best to kind of keep up. You know, and yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like yeah, definitely. I think like, I think we disagree. We we don't see eye to eye over the degree of problems that were had, but I think we're both on the same page about like some of the, the, the stereotypes and stuff that yeah, we used. And, yeah. and I will also say that's one that definitely I'd like to hear from my audience from. Uh, I did see some creators, uh, particularly Asian or Asian American talking about some of the issues. And that's where the, the, the dragon lady phrase that I, I was using mm. came from. I mean, I've heard it before, sure. but I do want to say I, my understanding is that it is a term that is acceptable to use when talking about when it is a, a problematic stereotype. But if it's a term that people at this point find offensive, please, of course, let me know and I'll try to um, take that into account for further discussions. Um, speaking of which, though, we have a, a, a final discussion we're going to do after the ad break that is connected to the Karate Kid as well as all sort of fight movies and, and superhero movies and type things. But the Karate Kid has them. Uh, but, Paul, do you have any other last comments or things about Zen Madman that you want to tell us? Um, not really, I guess. Um, I, I guess I want to mention something that's like totally kind of unrelated, but sort of related, um, Go for it. that, um, Sholo Mariduena, the, um, that Miguel is, mm-hmm. he's going to play the blue beetle. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, th- I don't know, is that going to be like the first like major superhero film with like a Latino lead. Like I can't um, think of any. Am I missing something? I think so. Um, like we've had on TV a, sure, a number yeah. of Latino uh, stars, and um, I think it may well be. I think I mean some of the Entourage movies have had. Um, Sure. Uh, Latino and Latina stars. Yeah. Uh, certainly Eternals did. Um, I'm pretty sure Birds of, Pre- Birds of, Pre- Birds of Prey yeah, did. Yeah. Uh, although she was a cop and a super superhero, really. Yeah. Um, but it's like a title yeah. character. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the Eternals, first. they're all title characters, but like, you know. Right. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that is I think that is one of the first. Um, and then I, I think Blue Beetle is an interesting character as well, Jaime Reyes. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I think that I, I'm looking... I do think there are a, a lot of wonderful actors in this show. And I would love to see... I'm glad to see Miguel's getting some roles. I would love for William Zabka to get some oh, of yeah. career renaissance. Because I, I think he is acting the hell out of this part. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think they're not always giving him the most range. But some seasons they're really giving him a lot. I think the last couple, definitely. Yeah. Um, and that growth. Well... For more on all this kind of stuff, of course, check out Paul and I podcast about these things all the time. We even talk about sometimes I have other guests. Paul is definitely not a host. Uh, <laughs> totally not a host. Guest from time to time. Uh, you can find us on theethicalpanda.com. That's where you can find all these podcasts as well as all the Star Wars podcasts. We're currently doing episode by episode coverage of Andor that we're having a lot of fun with. We're really enjoying that. We have some great guests lining up, I believe, including next week. Every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, you can see us live record the show on Twitch, twitch.tv slash zenmadman. Uh, you can also go to both Paul and I have discords and, of course, all the ways to find us on social media because, as I said, we really, really love feedback. We're going to read some feedback in a second and it's going to take us into one more of our the best three that we can think of at the moment kind of questions because <laughs> we don't believe in top threes. We don't believe in favorites. Uh, at least I've been told we don't. Uh, we believe <laughs> you can in believe the- in whatever you want. I mean, that's you fine. Know. <laughs> that's fine. Um, Paul's been challenging my beliefs since high school, so we're going to keep on doing that. Anyway, all that more after a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to La Russo Automotive. Never mind. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. So, as I said, we love feedback, uh, and we Paul and I got into a really interesting discussion a couple episodes back about training montages, and it was starting with the idea of how characters like Ray are sometimes seen by people as being uh, like, oh, I don't believe that they would have these powers, and that a lot of times that comes from a place of sexism or other things, but the, the Paul was making a, an interesting point of that part of it's because we didn't really see Ray get a training montage and that that uh, that is sometimes a reason why like it can help and, and uh, things like that. And I I have some pushback on that and we can discuss it a little bit more. But um, Dylan Diggs, who's been a big fan of this show, as well as a lot of the other Stranded Panda shows, have mentioned a bit, but the show is part of the Stranded Panda podcast network. Uh, lots of great shows there. Uh, and Dylan Diggs wrote in to say, I wanted to reach out mostly because I was just listening to your sing- – I wanted to reach out mostly because I was just listening to your Stinger episode where you talked about some of the questions regarding whether folks should feel that characters, particularly female characters, should have to go through at least some kind of training to demonstrate their mastery of powers. This was particularly we discussed in the light of Ray, who is the subject of both good faith criticisms and some that are sexist and often sadly the loudest. Without going too much into my feelings on that question, parentheses, I like Ray, but I feel like a lot of the other characters... I like Ray, but I feel like a lot of the characters and actors were underserved by lazy writing at times and other factors in the sequel series. I did want to write in because my wife and I just saw The Woman King. While the movie had some historical liberties with the history of the kingdom represented in the film, um, that is somewhat of an understatement. There's been a lot of controversy about that one. Uh, But then Dylan continues, what historical epic hasn't, though? The movie was half-training montage of a 19-year-old becoming one of those female warriors. It worked fantastically because not only were we able to see the Agoge, the all-female military unit, be badasses when they fought, seeing how they got to that point made it all the more impressive. I think Paul made a good point to that effect about training montages as to how they show the journey that character took. Now, all of our stories can't be about skill building and appreciate that at times that's not what a storyteller wants to tell. However, I would love in future Star Wars media to really drill down on what it takes to be a Jedi. 
we've only seen glimpses on films. The books were a bit better, such as the Jedi Apprentice chapter books I read as a kid, and they did a good job with some episodes with the Clone Wars, but what I wouldn't give to see them really dig into it with the Jedi. That's all. Thanks. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much. Um, I definitely have some thoughts on, on your feedback, uh, some disagreement, some agreement, but and I'm sure Paul, uh, they will have a lot of thoughts as well. But first, I just want to say, as always, thank you so much for list, uh, writing. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for writing in because that's really what makes these uh, episodes a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, thanks for that. I will definitely check out The Woman King when it is available in my house. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I look forward to it much more now, hearing that that description of it. Um, I'm, uh, I do want to quickly just mention the sort of historical questions that have sure. come up around it. Yeah. It's tangential, but I think it's worth saying. And I, I will say I have not followed this issue, but a lot of great creators on TikTok and Twitter have. Um, my understanding is that the characters who it is portraying as heroic examples of like awesome African women uh, were very incredible warriors. They conquered and captured a lot of people. And my understanding were that on the African side of it, they were a large part of the, like their group sold quite a lot of their captives into slavery. And that that's that, that, that they the film not dealing with that and sort mm-hmm. of making the this group heroes yeah. has has brought it under quite a lot of crit- critique and criticism. I, I don't know the details. I want to learn more about it. I haven't seen the movie yet. I want to read more about it. That's not for us to get into, but I just want to kind of throw that tangential thing out there. That seems potentially problematic. <laughs> uh, but I will try and watch the movie in its own light and then uh, add whatever historical context afterwards. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that whole that whole slavery thing, that was very bad. Um, you know, still is if you include incarceration and prison mm-hmm. labor. And um, uh, I got there was like a dollar charge on my license plate when I moved to Nevada. Uh-huh. And it said, it like says, it basically says prison labor. And I'm like, like, it's, yeah, it says like, it's a $1 fee for like basically having prisoners do the, you know, make the license plate. And like, I'm sure they're not paying the prisoners so you're charging a dollar. charging me a fee for the fact that you criminally undercharged the workers who made this. Underpaid, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, it, it was very upsetting. Okay. Anyway. Moving along. Moving along. <laughs> Moving along. Um, yeah, so I don't think like. It's not like every single character has to go through some specific training in order to demonstrate, like, on screen, right? Um, It's mostly – it's when you have a a young character who's supposed to be acquiring these powers or or learning them when I I really want to see that, you know? Um, I'm going to give a very light spoiler for Rings of Power, um, which is – you know, references a character who's in um, Lord of the Rings, um, Galadriel. Mm -hmm who is just such a badass. Like, I don't need to see a training montage of how she became a badass because you already told me she's hundreds of years old. And, like, I didn't need to see Legolas train, right? It's like, no, this is someone who spent hundreds of years perfecting their craft. I don't need to be – like, that's that doesn't have to be her story, right? Yeah. Um, Whereas when, you know, when I watch something like The Queen's Gambit, seeing – you know, that story, which I'll reference in a moment, like, that's the story of how a, a young girl becomes a young woman who is amazing at a thing. And that right. journey is, is like, very well developed and shown. And yeah. um, and so it's, some of it, it has to do with, like, yeah, there's different types of stories, right? Right. Um, and I want to see both. 
I would say, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. but but I don't want to feel like I don't get to see like the female Jedi train when I got to see the male Jedi train. It feels like it feels like we skipped a step kind of to me mm-hmm. in that context. Yeah. And I can understand that. And I think I don't want to relitigate the Ray part of it. Yeah. I, I do think I. I do think we got as mu- about as much training with Ray as we did with with some some others, especially like uh, Anakin. But I, I know we disagree mm. on that, and that's no, fine. No, with Anakin, but, I I think that's fair. I yeah. think we didn't really get that with Anakin. Yeah, but we, you know how much I love the prequels anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fair. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and I mean this was kind of the the heart and soul of that whole episode that grew out of a stinger uh, that we were talking about, which is that it's. It's hard to have opinions where a whole bunch of people share your opinion for terrible reasons. You right. Because I, I, I think you agree with this statement, and I think Dylan, I hope Dylan would agree with the statement as well, that there are, yes, training montages can be a helpful part of movies, and I understand that there is a... Um, a desire when you see a character suddenly become very powerful to see a training montage or some explanation of how they became so powerful. I also think that in the same way that, like you th- said, I might be projecting some with my thoughts on Master Kim in that show and, and the sort of stereotype I'm coming from, I do think for a lot of people who, because of, like, unexplored ideas of gender, sexual, sexual you know, uh, you know, male-female or whatever... It is harder for them to believe that a woman could have these powers. And so in a subconscious way, they will question a woman becoming super powerful in a way that they wouldn't without seeing a man, you know, like uh, and, and so I think that that but, I think that's so I true. Kinda, I'll just say yeah. I think that's true. I don't yeah. think that's what and I'm I, doing, but I definitely think that's true. Absolutely. Agreed. And I'll also but I'll also go one step further, which is to say I would. I, because here's the part of Dylan's email that I like the most. I think, regardless of gender, I do wish we got more training montages for Jedi in general. A, because I think it's fascinating. And yeah, if you yeah. give me another Andor-level show, or even a Kenobi-level show, set among, like, Padawans in, you know, the High Republic days, I'm all in. I would love that show. Um... <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why I think we often find why I think people are frustrated often with the stories of Jedi in training. And and like I said, I think the sexism is why it is more directed at Rey, but I think it can be directed at all of these characters, is that I feel like George Lucas and now Disney have never answered one fundamental question, which is, are great Jedis born or are great Jedis made? Mm. Because... On some level, I feel like part of what they've always been saying is, yes, anyone who's Force-sensitive, who does the right things, can become a good Jedi. But also, if you are part of one of these great bloodlines, and like, you know, Anakin, and you're this, like, you know, immaculate conception of the Force, and then his children, or Palpatine, and then his descendants, that on some level you just are so instinctually good with the Force— that you don't need the years and years and years of training that someone like Obi-Wan did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they've leaned in both directions, but they've never actually committed to that or away from it or to this, like, they sort of did with the midichlorians, but then I think we've mostly abandoned that because it's stupid. Um, but, like, to me, I think that's one of the reasons why there's always more of a hunger to, like, not even show training scenes, but to tell us, like, just say, like, wow, 
it's amazing. You don't need training. It must be because you're, you know, mm-hmm. super special, whatever, you yeah. know? I mean, I, I think to some extent it's like maybe they haven't answered it, but like the answer kind of like has to be both. Yeah. You know, because like that's that's how like everything works, right? Like everything right. is a mixture of like how you started and then what work you put in to get better, yeah. right? Like any skill, different people have different starting per- points, different people have different learning curves with the exact same instruction and the, doing the exact yeah. same practice. Um, and it seems like that's like one of those th- – it's like athletic ability, right? Yeah. Like – some of these people are born with amazing athletic ability, but then, you know, if you also do a lot of training, then you'll become just epically great at it. If you don't do any training, you'll be, right. you know, uh, who knows, right? Right. Like, And that's probably why I love that you keep mentioning Queen's Gambit as such a good example, because Queen's Gambit, I feel like she's 100% a prodigy. A prodigy. 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 Yeah. yeah. She's 100% a prodigy. Yeah. Prodigy, yeah, um, but all, but so I think it says that like if she didn't have just this natural mental understanding of the game and of space and all these kind of things, she could never become great. Right. But then also she had to really work and train, both to train at chess, but also to overcome her mental demons mm-hmm. to be like. And so yeah, it's it's she is an incredibly holistic character because they give us all of that exactly. And I've had many opportunities to kind of offer my rewrites of the Star Wars movies. Yeah. I think if you just put in two scenes, one of which is Luke saying to Rey during The Last Jedi, you know, you scare me because you have an understanding of the Force that most Jedi would have to train their whole lives to have. Mm. You know, yeah. like acknowledge that. And then later have when Yoda is talking to Luke and Luke is like, yeah, I, maybe I failed Ray, but she scared me because people shouldn't have that kind of power. And Yoda is like, how many years of training did you have with me? Right, right, You know, right. like, yeah, like six did. days did you train? Right. You know, and like kind of acknowledging that like, yeah, Luke was also very, very kind of naturally born to it. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, because of power creep, basically, the what we were talking about is like escalating stakes. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. they definitely that happens movie to movie, you know, yeah. um, like the, 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 the Jedi in the, the old Republic were more powerful than like Vader in, in the original trilogy. Right. But they're not supposed to be, you know? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, we're on this subject of, of, uh, kind of training montages and stuff like that. So thank you so much, Dylan, for that. Oh, do you have one more thing? To I just want to say one more thing about what it takes to be a Jedi and the training. And I do think that the best example in Star Wars of not so much just like the, the training training, um, which I think actually Ezra is a really good example in Rebels, mm-hmm. um, but just of like the arc of being going from Padawan to Jedi to I am not a Jedi is, right. you know, is Ahsoka. You know, yes, very, very much. Um, so. I, I mean, I think she really has the best kind of. We we get to see that transition the most, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of like how the power grows, but also how you know the maturity and understanding how to use the power um, grows right. as well. And also, I think that is one of the best. I think actually the best illustration we've gotten from it, we've we've gotten for of Jedi of force training. Mm. Is in the Darth Bane books, where Darth Bane spends most of the first, about like I see half of the first book at a Sith training academy. Yeah. 
and it really does go into like both the classes he takes but also like the way he learns and also all the power dynamics among the students and like yeah it's, it's not that a series <laughs> yeah like i mean that was such a well-done book the author had no idea how to write women characters, and oh, it's yeah. painful. Uh, you don't want to talk about femme fatale, bad writing, mm. but yeah, other than that, it's really good. So let's now use that to transition. We're often going to do our, like, as you said, it's not our top three. It's the three of the best we can think of in this moment uh, while also having a couple hours to prepare. But it's kind of three, three of our favorites. Um, and the question for tonight is training montages. So, uh, Paul, do you want to go first with your three, or do you want to read one and I'll do one? Uh- I'll just rattle mine off because I've already talked about two of them before. And maybe I even mentioned all three of these. But um, they're not montages. They're series, actually. And it's about training extended over an entire series. And, um, you know, one's the Queen's Gambit. So you've taken the Danny LaRusso approach to this question. I have. Like you've <laughs> <That's fun>. you've <laughs> you've offered a question. I said uh, that's an interesting question. Now let me say something that is related to that question without directly answering it. Um, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I think training montages can be great, but yeah. I would rather see actually. I would see scenes, right? Yes, where I think it's also where it's not just music, and then they're showing. Oh, they're doing this stuff. It's like to me, there's an extent to which a montage is a little bit of kind of lazy writing. You know, mm-hmm. um, I m- might have watched an episode of something last night where I was like, "You could have written dialogue for these characters, but that would have taken more effort." But anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the Queen's Gambit, just the whole series, is all about this journey from being um, yes. a prodigy to an exceptionally skilled person, right? And mm-hmm. and that's that's a journey of thousands, tens of thousands of hours. And yeah. uh, I just think it does a fantastic job of that. Um, you know, to underscore your point earlier about how you know, you'll often get people who can't accept female characters being great at a thing that they don't think women can be great at. You still get people complaining about this show. Oh, a woman could never be that good at chess, which is yeah. absurd, right? I mean, there, there have been female chess players who are amazing. Um, you did Polgar to name one. Um, actually, the, the woman who was referenced in the scene about only playing against women, the Soviet woman there. Um, mm-hmm. Was it? I should have her name here, but I don't. Um, she actually sued Netflix because that was not true. She did play against men and beat men, some of the the greatest players oh, of awesome. her time. <laughs> and so, you know, so if you, if anything, you want to complain about the series, it actually undersold the accomplishments of of real women chess players. Um, That's amazing. But so I just think that show does a great job of that. You still get people making, oh, a girl couldn't be that. It's like shut up. Um, yeah. You know, like. And and then like Galadriel, like if somebody's like, oh, how's she so powerful? It's like, dude, you've got a problem. You've got a, you've dumb. got a yeah, problem. Like, no one, we don't. Uh, hun- I'm rewatching yeah. Bad Batch. We don't ever need to see a training scene for Fennec Shand. Right. Exactly. She's just she, Ming Na Wen is amazing. Fennec Shand is amazing. Right. Um, yeah. She's she's a freaking assassin. Like just deal yeah. with it. Okay. <laughs> it's not hard to understand. Um, Avatar: The Last Airbender has training montages within it, but the whole series is basically the journey of going from being an airbender to being an avatar who can bend all the elements. And along the way, um, Katara also has her journey of going from being, you know, a sort of nascent waterbender who can, like, bring a little bit of water up to, like, get her brother's hair wet to, like, Mm -hmm. you know, being a master waterbender. 
Right. Um, and then Zuko also has his, I mean, actually just Zuko on the mountaintop, like, why do you hate me? Like trying to get struck by lightning. Like that's like a highlight there, you know? And like, that's a whole training episode as well. Right. With the learning to redirect lightning. Um, and so like that whole show, I just think does training in just an elevated way. That's um, legit. That's um, and then I kind of just thought of like Ipman and like other and like the various mm-hmm. movies in that. That's not what I was going to say, but I, I'm going to throw that in as my like honorable mention. Um, yeah, cause I mean, it's literally about a martial arts master teacher mm-hmm. and it's, yeah. you know, there's stuff directly about that. Um, but like, it, like in the first Ipman movie, I think there's definitely a training montage scene where he's training the workers at that factory that keeps getting attacked, you know? Yeah, 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 there is. Yeah. So most of the movies have like some sort of montage somewhere in there. Um, mm-hmm. But then I was going to actually say Arrow, like the show Arrow, yeah. I think really does a good job of showing like, first of all, how I was going to call him Stephen, Stephen Amell, uh, <laughs> showing how a stuntman learns to act. Over the course yeah. of several seasons of television. Um, no, of of how um, Oliver Queen goes from being just like some some playboy, basically, to like, yeah. you know, learning a lot of skills and then also teaching those skills and how, you know, uh, spoilers for the series, but like how his sister learns all these skills, you know, and how mm-hmm. Roy learns all these skills. And and um, I, I just think it does a really good job of of actually showing people learn over time. And, and I mean, uh, you know, like it might not be exactly targeted at me, but like all those shirtless, like salmon ladder <laughs> workouts, like I'm, sh- I know that was appreciated by a great many folks. And it, it, I, I believe the salmon ladder became part of like, th- there's some like American warrior yeah, Amer- show um, like that. American Ninja warrior. <laughs> That I think a salmon run is now a part of that because of that show or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not sure like, whether which one came first, but uh, but it is definitely yeah. yeah the salmon ladder is a, a big part of that. Uh, yes, and and <laughs> of both things. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. All right, so I took the question a little more literally. Okay, uh, because I do love a good training montage mm-hmm. scene. I'm with you. And. And I, I also think, like, I do think they're overdone. I do think they can get really problematic. And that's part of why, like, I don't mind that a lot of movies recently haven't had them because I think we we don't really need them. Um, and I'm going to start, like, fairly close to the genres you and I often talk about and then get further and further away. So the first that I'll say that is it is a Marvel movie, if not necessarily an MCU movie, Big Hero 6. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah. the um, uh, the song by I believe Fall Out Boy, uh, "We Can Be Immortals." These are called Immortals, um, and it's to me it's one of my favorite kind of training montages because it's actually doing two things. It is a making the plan montage at the same time that it's a training montage because it is the like you're watching our main hero figure out all of these different skills to teach his friends and then and, and all the different technology to give his friends and then his friends learning the technology and the song is just I, I think it's a great song I listen to it a lot uh, it's very fun like inspiring and like everything about it is just shot really well there's this ridiculous butler character who just like huh is very nonchalant as these people are using like lasers and chemicals and all this stuff around him while they're like practicing stealing the mask from him. So that that's definitely a favorite of mine. I, I just want to co-sign. That was a fantastic scene. I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I don't know cinema, cinema, 
I don't know movie history very well. I don't even know the exact way to pronounce that word. You could just say but, cinema history. Yeah. I, checking in with a few friends of mine who are very well versed in these things, there is some argument to the idea that the modern movie training montage scene was, if not completely invented, was, was very much... The, the modern idea of it was set by the Rocky movies. Mm. And like every Rocky movie has one. It's always just some great music. And I had some trouble, honestly, picking which would be my favorite. But I feel like one of them had to be on this list. And for me, it is the one from Rocky III. Uh, it's Eye of the Tiger, first of all, which I think a training montage needs great music. Yes. That song is amazing. It, it's ridiculous in the 80s. And like, I don't, I think if I just heard that song on the radio, I'd be like, this is cheesy, whatever. But like in that movie, it works so well. But there's also a further dynamic to it, which is that I'm not going to hold up most of the Rocky movies as high cinema. I do think the first one is really good. I think the third has some good points. I think all of them have some good points, but some of them are pretty schlocky. And I think the more recent Creed movies, which are in the Rocky verse very much, are phenomenal movies. Uh, once again, reminding us that Michael B. Jordan is just an amazing actor and that sometimes he gets to live through a movie. Which, you know, I've heard his mother like had stopped going to see his stuff because he always died. His mother just couldn't deal with that. Um, but... In this particular, one of the, I think the few complaints that people definitely have about the first Rocky movie, I think fairly so, is that there are definitely some problematic racial overtones to the movie, which is that like this is made in the 70s and this was at a time when a lot of people still really did not like Muhammad Ali. You know, he was a draft dodger. He was Muslim. But also he was just seeing, I mean, he was like again, using a word that white racists used a lot, he was uppity. You know, he he trash-talked. And he he really brought this fairly kind of unique way of boxing of, like, where it wasn't just about standing there and taking the best punches and dishing out the best punches. He danced around the ring. His footwork was maybe one of the important parts of the way Muhammad Ali fought. And, you know, the whole, like, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee thing. And the first Rocky movie is kind of about this working class white guy who gets in the ring with a super glitzy dance around, wears the fashion and the gold and all that kind of stuff, black guy. And like the black guy dances all around him, but Rocky is just so darn Italian, American, white, strong, that no matter how many good punches he takes, he'll always get back up. And like, there's a lot of great things to that story, but there, there's some racial elements that, that don't hold up very well, I don't think. Rocky Three, because Apollo Creed, that guy from the first and second movie who was the Muhammad Ali figure, is now his trainer. The whole point is that he is learning to dance now. He's learning to fight mm. with footwork because he's going against someone who will always punch harder than he, he, he does and will also always take a puncher. So he can't be that person anymore. And like in pretty much every Rocky training montage – a big part of it is about the character learning a new fundamental skill, a new way to face a new challenge. And I just kind of like that as a general theme, but this one especially, because it is kind of like addressing a problematic part of the first movie, I, I just love it, and the song is great, and the scene is great, and it ends with he, uh, Sylvester Stallone and Carl Weathers jacked up to the to the nines in 80s uh, crop top tank tops, hugging each other and jumping in the water, and it's ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> that was that was fantastic to listen to. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't seen Rocky Three. I've only seen the first one. Um, which uh -huh. I do think is is largely a great movie. Um, yeah. I mean, 
obviously everything you just said is is true, right? Um, yeah. And uh, I, I could do without the like, you know, beating up dead animals bit, but like, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the general idea of outside of the box kind of training, you know? Right. Um, and I, I do think I Have the Tiger is just a, a great song. It really um, is, yeah. Just in, in a vacuum. And, uh, mm. but I, I do really like the idea that like, you know, Rocky is learning like a new skill, right? He's learning from yeah. Creed here. And, um, my, my Taekwondo teacher used to always talk about Muhammad Ali and, you know, oh, his jab. Awesome. And like, I, I think he would say like Sonny Liston knocked himself out on, you know, on Cassius Clay's left jab or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and basically that like, yeah, you know, the idea of just like timing and footwork is like mm-hmm. just as important as the ability to generate power. Right. Because yeah. when, if you use if you have good footwork and, and proper timing, you're using um, you're using their power against them. Right. Yeah. Which um, I mean, I've watched very few boxing matches like i'm not even uh-huh. sure what you call them matches right i mean fights yeah yeah, I, a fight, a match, like, yeah. that's how little boxing i've watched but i remember i was at a poker game in an underground club in new york uh call call back to rounders episode um mm-hmm. and the the uh manny pacquiao um or the 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 pacquiao what marquez oh, caesar caesar chavez fight no marquez no chavez? um marquez i think 2011 that sounds right yeah Right. Um, and just got knocked out by just like a, I guess they call it a straight punch, but just like a reverse punch. That was just, it was just, he's just coming in and just boom. And he just levels him with it and just knocks him, knocks him out. Yeah. And it was like, it was just the timing of it. You know, I hadn't ever really watched boxing that much because it just felt like that just there's so much back and forth, you know, just pummeling each other. It feels kind of boring. But just like that one split second of just that timing and footwork yeah. and just, like a perfectly landed punch is just um, so satisfying. Yeah. I mean, I I think like, I don't think boxing like really qualifies. I don't know what the official definition of a martial art is. But I'd say that like, I don't know if box, because I think a lot of boxing is the kind of original Rocky, just like, can I punch you harder? And can I take more punches? But like, to me, Muhammad Ali was a martial artist. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair statement you can make. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think it's awesome that your Taekwondo teacher taught you about about it a lot. Yeah, and and like Bruce Lee, like took a lot from, you know, Western boxing and and incorporated into Jeet Kune Do. You know, it's like, if there's a way of delivering a strike, like you learn it and then you see if you can use it. And if, if yeah. it's if it works the best, then that's what you use, you know? Yeah, totally. And I should also say for hardcore boxing fans might be getting ready to write in. I'm not saying that all boxing was just like heavyweights, you know, was was big people standing there and punching each other. There's always been footwork. There's always been defense and all this kind of stuff. I think heavyweight fighting mm, especially right. was a lot of that. And that the Muhammad Ali was one of the first heavyweights. Right. Who, you know, who, who like moved like a lightweight. Right. Like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my third one when I'm moving out of the realm of fighting, because there are other training skills you can get, but I think it's a fantabulous training montage. And it's from the movie Dirty Dancing. Uh, and it's the song Hungry Eyes, which is, again, a great song. The whole Dirty Dancing soundtrack is great. But it's where Jennifer Grey's character, Baby, has decided that she's going to, like, stand in in this dance competition with Patrick Swayze. And so Patrick Swayze and the other woman who was going to dance with Patrick Swayze but now can't because the whole, that's what the whole plot is about are teaching her how to dance and how to dance with the competition. Yeah. And it's just a, like... It's a really well done montage because I, I truly feel that like 
I see her progress over the course of it, you know, and like they do a lot of great things where like first they're like because the actors were not trained dancers and this is not the age where like you, you like I think they, they learned a lot of the dancing themselves, but some of it was also like other people. And so they do some great there's some great shots where like to show the best footwork. It's just a shot from their knees down. So it doesn't look like they're trying to not show their faces. It looks like they're trying to do something cool effect about the footwork. Um, but also but I do think a lot of it was them themselves. Patrick Swayze like, was a dancer, by the way. Was he? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. He, he was like a dance instructor, I think, actually, before. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think Jennifer okay. Grey was an actress who could dance, kind of like. So he, I think he probably went on that same Steve Anell, you know, his Steve career Anel. is his right, training yeah. montage of learning to act. Um, but, like, um, but just everything about it, like, there's a wonderful dynamic among the three of them that I think certainly inspired a number of, like, future unicorns, because it's the two older people teaching her to dance in this very, like, hands-on, like, it, it, it's a scene. There's a lot going on in it. But just, like, everything about it, and, like, you can see her moments of getting frustrated and, like, kind of walking away, and then, like, later in the montage, she does the exact same move and gets it right. Like, they clearly just put so much thought into that scene that it is it is definitely in my top three. Yeah, I mean, I will say that that movie is actually a great childhood memory for me. Mm, um, that's awesome. My mom like analyzed the crap out of it. Um, oh, cool! Like she was she was a film editor and and she wanted to to go into production and so her and her friend were like this was a movie that had a really low budget and made a mm-hmm. ton of money did really was really successful based on this really small budget um, and so they're kind of like how did how did they do this you know and also mm. liked the movie um, I. Yeah. So first of all, that movie's about abortion access. I just want to throw yes, that out very, there. Very much so. Which yes, is like the, you, the reason yeah. the reason why the woman can't dance with him is because she needs an abortion. Right. Which she needs to get in like an illegal underground clinic because yep. it's criminalized, right, at the right. time. Um and yeah, so so I, I just think it's a I mean it's a great movie, you know, yeah. it's a great scene. Um I it's did the most actually Jewish movie yeah. I've ever seen that never says the word Jewish. Right, like, yes. They're vacationing in the Catskills. Yeah. The announcer tries to convince kids to play baseball by saying, don't you want your kids to be the next Sandy Koufax? Right, right, like, right. Like, every, everything about it is Jewish. It just never says the word. Yeah. I didn't actually realize how Jewish that movie was until seeing The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which has – they're, like, at a resort that's kind of similar Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, yeah. And then I looked into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, you know. A lot of the great Jewish stand-up comedians like Benny Goodman and people like that got their start there on what was called the Borscht Belt. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was the name of those those resorts. That's fantastic. Um, And I will say I actually did practice some of of those things. Like the only dancing I've ever actually practiced (laughs) was that that lift thing with a friend. (laughs) Uh-huh. So, like, that's how much, like, we watched that movie back then. I, I do remember one high school party where you ran into the middle of a dance floor and started headbanging. Yeah, but, I mean, so moshing I've, is, a, you know. I've seen a, you yeah. sort of dance. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's, that's something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely please play this, play this uh, bit for your mom because I would love to hear her analysis of that montage because I'm wondering oh, sure, like, yeah. how much I, I'm projecting. Uh, I'll just also quickly run through my um, uh, other uh, you know, honorable mentions. One is The Matrix, where honestly mm. I don't really remember the music to it, but just the like – Particularly because it's like the whole point is that the skills themselves just get downloaded yeah. into his head, but he has to learn 
to trust himself. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about like not just gaining the skills, but learning to utilize the skills. And the way it's framed that they keep like cutting to other training bits. But the main thing is, can he land a punch on Morpheus? Right. And like that's the start and the middle and the end of the, the yeah. montage. Do you believe so that's, that's definitely- air you're breathing? <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is, uh, and here they do have lyrics that explain exactly what's happening in the training montage, uh, Be a Man from the movie Mulan, ah. which, which which is Mulan's training montage played by Ming-Na Wen. So Ming-Na Wen yeah. does have a training montage, even if it's not um, <laughs> right. uh, Fennec Shand. Fen- Fennec Shand. Yeah. So. Or Melinda May, right? I mean, she doesn't need to tra- yeah. like. If ever a character just walks on screen and you just believe that she could do what she could do, it's like basically any character played by Ming-Na Wen. <laughs> yeah, basically. Including Chun-Li so, in uh, Street Fighter. Yeah. I have not seen that movie. Deep cut. But I will take your word for it. <laughs> All right. So I think that uh, now gives us a 40-minute stinger that we can probably wrap nice, up. Nice, nice. Last, last <laughs> Another bonus episode line. stinger. <laughs> <laughs> Except we didn't get anything really deep. We just talked about No, we didn't. All right. Well, uh, Paul, unless you have any last words. No, I'm, I'm good. It's been real. Last words. Go train. <laughs>